Welcome to the preaching and teaching ministry of Mary and Oaks Assembly of God in Ocala, Florida. We invite you to open your Bible as we join Pastor Tim McIntyre for today's message for Bible study. So tonight we're starting um, a brief five-week a Bible study series on the book of Jonah. And I've titled the series Jonah, and then God is gracious and merciful. When we think of the book and the story of Jonah, we probably don't immediately think of God's grace and mercy, although it's very prevalent. What do we think of? What is it that the book and the story of Jonah is known for? John. The whale. Even though the Bible doesn't call it a whale. It calls it a big fish. When we hear big fish, we think of the biggest fish we can think of, right? A whale. All right. Um, what else is Jonah known for? His disobedience and rebellion, right? Running away from God. As we'll see in the story tonight, isn't it kind of ironic that he takes a ship across the ocean and when he's confronted and uh, the sailors talk to him about what's going on, he says, I serve the God that created the heavens and the earth and the seas. It's like, so I'm traveling across the seas to get away from him. It doesn't make any sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's known from the fact that he ran from God. He was swallowed by the big fish, was in the fish for three days and three nights. But um, we are going to look at all that stuff. And my goal, as always, is to see how things apply to our lives. That's why as we fill in our blanks on our note sheet, the comments or the main points are worded in such a way they apply to us. It isn't just a statement of what happened to Jonah. But it's how does this apply to us? But I want us to focus on God's grace and mercy. Because when you have eyes to see it and you don't get sidetracked by the fact that this is such an unusual story about this man running from God, get swallowed by a big fish, in the fish for three days and three days, God's grace and mercy is all the way through the book. Now, we haven't even started reading it yet. Most people are familiar with the story. But before we even jump into it, what are examples of God's grace and mercy in the story in the book of Jonah? Chris, give me one. Before judgment, he wants to warn the people. The Ninevites, the people of Nineveh, are very wicked, very evil. And that's not just stated by God's word. It is stated by history. But before God brings judgment, he wants to give them an opportunity to change. That shows God's grace and mercy. And the fact that God was willing to offer grace and mercy to people that were so wicked. We'll talk about how wicked they were in a little bit. What's another example of God's grace and mercy? Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, even for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, that what God was going to destroy, he sent the angels in to remove the righteous people, and mainly because Abraham prayed. So it shows how important our prayers are, too. What are some examples of God's grace and mercy in the book of Jonah? When Jonah was hot, God provided a vine, a tree of some sort, some kind of plant that, to shade him. Of course, it was also to teach him a lesson, but he did provide a tree. And that's one of the things we'll see as we get closer to the end. Jonah was so upset that his little vine that grew up and one day died, but he could care less that a hundred and something thousand people in Nineveh were going to be killed, you know. What other examples of grace and mercy do we see in jo- the story of Jonah? Give us one, Norris. All right. When he experienced God's discipline and he was in the belly of the whale, he prayed and God delivered him. All right. You know, we might have the tendency to, like, we send them to do something. They could say, I'm not going to do it. Say, okay, forget you. I'll get somebody else, right? So God didn't give up on Jonah. 
All right. Yeah, those are the primary examples, but we're going to see some others too. Yeah, got another one, Felix? What? No, I didn't say Jonah didn't give up on God. I said it could have been easy for God to want to give up on him because he just said forget it, but he didn't. And that's the same thing's true for us. You know, God never gives up. Never, God never gives up on his people. His people may give up on him, but God doesn't give up on his people. All right. So unrelated, but related. How many of you have ever heard of a guy by the name of Joe Lewis? John has. Theo has. Some of you. What is he known for? Boxing. He was a very, very famous boxer in the 30s and 40s. Uh, 1930s, 1940s, won a lot of awards and achievements. What connection is there between Joe Lewis and Jonah? Does anybody know? Besides the fact that their names start with Joe. Anybody know about the connection between Joe Lewis and Jonah? Joe Lewis is the one who made the statement, uh, the phrase popular, he can run, but he can't hide. Now, I don't know much about Joe Lewis, but I assume he's talking about the guy he's boxing in the ring. <laughs> the guy can run away from him, but he can't hide. And so that's what I titled um, uh, the lesson tonight, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide, because it so fits the story of Jonah. Jonah tried to run from God, but he did not succeed. Now, before we jump in, just say that some people say, um, even people who study the Bible don't understand it, but that's okay, because there's a lot of people out there with a little bit different viewpoint, and there's a lot of people that study the Bible that aren't even Christians. But they say that, well, the story of Jonah is not really, really real. It wasn't real history. It's a story that was written to make a point. You know, it's like a parable. It's like an allegory. And they say that that's so because it just, there's no way it could have happened. Well, if you say that, then you would have to say that none of the miracles in there in the Bible could happen. And so you don't really believe in a miracle working God. But what'd you say? What'd you say? They lied. (laughs) So, but the thing is, is that there actually have been a number of cases that have been documented in recent history, by recent history, the last hundred or so years, of sailors that have been swallowed by um, large whales and survived for an extended period of time, a couple of days, all right? But to me, as far as believing in God and God's word, the biggest support I see for the fact that the story of Jonah actually is true and it is a historical fact. It isn't just a story that God's people told to make a point is the fact that Jesus talked about Jonah a couple different times and he always talked about him as if he was a real person and his time spent in the whale or in the big fish really did happen. And if Jesus said he was a real person and Jesus said it was uh, the, the details are true, then that's good enough for me. All right. So I believe that it truly is, um, a story of a historical event, not just one that was made up to make a point, all right? So we're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 1 tonight. Again, the title is You Can Run, But You Can't Hide, and we're going to draw a number of principles from this story, and as I said, not just what happened to Jonah, but by what happened to Jonah, what God wants to do in our lives and how it applies to our lives, all right? So the first one is this, God wants to speak to us every day. God wants to speak to us every day. I say, God wants to speak to you every day. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now who is this Jonah? Jonah is a prophet. Um, A prophet is someone who speaks for God. Okay? Um, As I said earlier, he's one of the minor prophets. Minor because the, the writings are a little bit shorter. 
And um, Jonah had a relationship with God. And Jonah was probably one of the unusual prophets in that he was probably very, very popular. Um, as you may be aware of, many of the prophets God spoke I don't use popular with the people of Nineveh, but the popular with his own people. Many of the prophets God spent, sent to speak, um, uh, to his people brought messages of judgment and all that kind of stuff, and the people did not like them, and they were persecuted, some were put to death because of their prophecies. But Jonah was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, and he prophesied, he prophesied during a time of prosperity. And he prophesied that more prosperity was coming. So you can imagine, he probably was popular, all right? I meant to put this on your note sheet, but I forgot. If you want to, you can add in there that he's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 to 28. Now, we don't know a lot about his other prophecies because they're not written down, all right? Um, but unfortunately, the Israelite nation was prospering, but it wasn't because they were so righteous, it's just because they were unjust. And when I say they prospered, it was the wealthy that were prospering. But God, for whatever reason, spoke through Jonah and said, you're going to keep prospering. The land's going to, the, your borders are going to continue to expand, all that kind of stuff. But then God, and, and, and the reason I even mention that is if you could imagine God gives you a message, it's a positive message, you preach it to the people, and they think you're wonderful. And then God turns around and says, now I've got another message for you to preach. It's like, okay, God, I'm ready. Go to the Ninevites. We'll come back to that, okay? So anyway, God told him to go to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh is not part of Israel. Nineveh is a major city uh, that was a part of the Assyrian Empire, all right? Uh, later in history, Nineveh is going to be the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Right now, it's just one of the major cities. And um, it is uh, the Assyrians are very, very, very wicked, very evil, Nineveh is about 500 miles northeast of Israel. So if Jonah would take off walking, um, which is how they usually travel, it would take him over a month to get there. And God told him to go to Nineveh and to preach against it because their evil was so bad. So we're talking about this idea of God speaking to us. And it came up because it says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, we don't know exactly how the word of the Lord came to Jonah, or even most prophets. We do know for some prophets, um, God spoke to them through visions. He spoke to them through dreams. But there's a lot of times you read the prophets, it just says the word of the Lord came to them and they spoke it. Or they just speak out and say, God is saying. So we could spend all kinds of time speculating about how God spoke to them and made it clear what they were supposed to say, but we really don't know. But the point is, is that God doesn't just speak to prophets. God speaks to his people, and God wants to speak to us, and I believe God wants to speak to us every single day. The question is whether we're going to listen and pay attention, and an even bigger question is whether we're going to do anything about it. Are we going to do what God tells us to do or asks us to do? How does God speak to us today? Now, we can do a whole study on it, so we're just going to do a quick overview, but John, through his word, that is the primary way God speaks to us is through his word. Now, I just want to, I've made this point before, but not all of you heard it, so I'm going to just repeat it again. 
Sometimes people say, well, yeah, we've got God's word. It's written down. We read it. I know. I know. But you read about Abraham and God had conversations with Abraham. And you read about how God spoke to Jonah. I mean, they obviously had a really close relationship and, and God's speaking right to him. And you read about the other prophets and, and God's speaking to them. And it's, I wish God would speak to me this way. Can I tell you something? We have it so much better than they did. Yes, Abraham had conversations with God. Probably a total of five or six or seven in his entire life of a hundred and something years. And they were short conversations. We have a whole library of books, 66 books full of God speaking to us. Having God's word in the form of the Bible is so much more significant than the few conversations that God may have had with people he spoke to in more unusual ways through history. So God speaks primarily through his word. Theo, you had your hand up. Okay, so God can actually speak to us personally too. Probably not with an audible voice, although I've known some people say, I actually heard an audible voice. God told me something. Anybody in here ever heard an audible voice that you really believe was God? I'm not mocking, I'm, I'm asking. Okay, because God can and does still do that sometimes. It's not the normal way he speaks. Okay, but as you spend time with God and you meditate on his word, his spirit can speak to you. You know, Jesus even said, my sheep know my voice. The longer we've known the Lord and the more his word is in us and the more we're sensitive to his spirit, when we begin to have thoughts and, 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 and what impressions on our spirit, we'll be able to recognize, okay, was that really God or did I eat pizza too late last night? You know, and so, <laughs> but another very important test is that God doesn't contradict himself. So if God, if you think God's speaking to you and he's telling you something that contradicts his word, it's not God. Because God does not contradict. He's not going to tell you to go out and break one of the Ten Commandments. He's not going to tell you to go out and be unfaithful to your spouse. He's not going to tell you to go out and lie to get ahead because he doesn't contradict himself. You know, God also speaks through other people. Okay? But you need to take that with a grain of salt which means you need to examine it, you need to pray over it, you pray, pray for discernment. I've heard of any number of people that got married because they were in a service and a preacher or an evangelist prayed for them um, and maybe they were dating somebody and they said, God said you guys are supposed to get married and they just accepted it and did it without praying about it for themselves or whatever and it was a disaster. You know, um, God can and maybe will speak to you through someone else, but you are still ultimately responsible as far as the veracity of that message and the fact that you've prayed it through and you have that confirmation that this really is what God said. You don't just take it for face value. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, that's right. Uh, as Chris said and as, as Theo said earlier, as you spend time with God's word, that's another thing that will really help you recognize his voice. All right, and he'll bring that up to you. Okay, yeah, Amanda. Sure, God can speak to you through your circumstances. Now, that's one of the least reliable ways, but God does do it, you know, because um, you can pray, God, if you, you know, want me to do this, then open the door, and if it opens the door, that may be God. Or it may, I heard about a guy that said, you know, God, I know I'm on a diet, but I really would like a donut this morning, so I'm just praying, Lord, if you, it's okay for me to have a donut, may there be a parking space open right in front of the donut shop when I drive by. And he says, sure as the world, my 10th time around the block, there was a parking space open in front of So I'm just saying, you can't just go by circumstances, but sometimes God does use circumstances, okay? And I'm just going to throw this out there, no pun intended. Some people say, well, I'm going to throw out a fleece. You, know, you hear the story of Gideon and you throw out a fleece. Can I tell you that that is not a, it's biblical, but it's not a godly way to get direction from God. 
Gideon did that because he was lacking in faith, but God honored it, even though that's not the way we're supposed to go about doing it. So anyway, lots of different ways. We could do a whole study, but we're going to leave it at that. The thing is, God wants to speak to us every day. I just challenge you and encourage you, spend time with God in his word, in prayer, every day. Ask God to speak to you. When I read my Bible, I sit down and say, God, I'm getting ready to spend some time with your word. Would you speak to me today? You know what I need. Challenge me, convict me, encourage me. Lord, enlighten me, inform me, just whatever you want to do. And then I'll read. And, and as I go through, I'll stop and think, how does this apply to get to the end? Lord, how did that apply to me? And then pray over it. So God wants to speak to us every day. Um, again, the big thing is, are you going to listen? And what will you do when he does speak to you? Are you going to do what he tells you to do? Or are you going to say, God, speak to me, and then I'll decide whether I want to do it or not? Can I tell you, that'll shut the door uh, pretty quick, you know, to God speaking to us. Like, if you're not going to listen to me, you're not going to pay attention, then why should I speak to you, you know? But um, anyway, and obviously that's the problem with Jonah. He heard God speak to him, but he says, uh-uh, God. All right, so number two on our note sheet here, we often run when we don't want to obey God. We often run, and run is in quotes because Jonah literally ran, okay, Um but we may not literally run, but we run in other ways, and we'll get to that. So verse 3, after God had given Jonah this message that he was supposed to go to Nineveh, it says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, let me just tell you, Bible scholars are not 100% sure where Tarshish is because it's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, but there was a place during that time in history on the coast of Spain called Tartessus or something like that, and it was also called Tarshish, so they think that's what it's talking about. That is 2,000 miles in the wrong direction, okay? To go to Nineveh, he's supposed to go 500 miles to the northeast. Instead, he gets on a boat to go across the sea to go 2,000 miles to the west. So Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. You see, the whole point was that he didn't actually want to go to Tarshish. He wanted to get away from God. Kind of hard to do. Why did Jonah run? Jonah was popular as a prophet among his own people. God said, I got a new message for you, but you're going to go to somebody else. He said, oh, I'm taking off. Why do you think Jonah ran away from the responsibility? Well, he was definitely disobedient, but he'd been obedient before. So what made him decide to do it this time? Norris? Okay, so I'll stop you through. Finish. Go ahead. So he didn't want to go preach to the Ninevites because he was afraid they would repent. He didn't want them to repent. Okay, exactly. Jump down to Jonah chapter three, the end of Jonah chapter three. Okay, I'm having to scroll down on my digital device here. Okay. At the end of chapter 3, verse 10, this is after everything that happens, if you're not familiar with the story, he does end up preaching to them. They do end up repenting. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, they repented, they humbled themselves, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Verse 1 of chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. <clears throat> and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful. There's our subtitle, the merciful and gracious God. Okay. I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He says, that's why I didn't want to go. God, I knew you'd forgive him. 
Okay? But why, uh, Norris mentioned it uh, in, in kind of in passing, why did he not want God to forgive them? I mean, why would you not want God to forgive somebody? I mean, if you, especially if you've experienced God for yourself and forgiveness for yourself, why would you not, why would he not want God to forgive them? Prejudice, what'd you say, Gene? They didn't deserve it. Of course, we deserve it, right? Jonah deserved God's blessing and forgiveness, but these Ninevites didn't. But there is a valid point there. I mean, God even said it in his word, they were tremendously evil, all right? And they were evil. Now, later in their history, they're actually going to conquer the nation that Jonah is from, but it's a hundred or so years later. Jonah will be long gone. Okay, but they developed over history, and they started out that way. But they developed a, his, a, a reputation for being traditional, a terribly evil, wicked, sadistic. Um, I mean, they would torture people for as long as they could before they put them to death. You know, chopping off their fingers a little bit at a time, chopping off their ears, chopping off their noses. I mean, they did horrific things to people. They were very cruel. All right. It'd be sort of like God saying to us, hey, listen, I want you to go over to the Middle East and I want you to take the gospel to ISIS or to Al-Qaeda or to the Taliban. Okay. Especially if those people had had an impact on your life. Could you imagine, I don't know if there's anybody in this room or listening to this recording later, that you had a friend or loved one who, friend or loved one who died in 9-11. But if you could imagine having a friend or loved one who died in 9-11 and God told you and would open the door for you to go and share the gospel with some of the people that were involved in seeing that happen. I'd like to believe that God would give me the grace and mercy enough to do it anyway. But it would be, be a wrestling thing. But also, especially if they weren't necessarily in prison, but they were still out and about and they could do whatever they wanted to to you. I mean, that's kind of what God is asking Jonah to do. Go to this terribly wicked, cruel, sadistic nation who's been a threat to your country for a hundred or so years. Now, Jonah doesn't know down in the future. They're actually going to conquer his country and send all his people into exile. He doesn't know that, but he knows it's a possibility because that's the kind of people they were. And God says, go tell them the gospel. I mean, put it in our terms, all right? So I think we can kind of relate a little bit to that, but he still needs to obey God. Yeah, Felix, what were you going to say? It was 500 miles from where Jonah was to go to Nineveh. 500 miles overland. Okay. So how does that apply to us? On your note sheet, I have this. Sometimes we run. We're afraid that obeying God is going to, quote, hurt us in some way. Not maybe literally hurt us. I mean, Jonah's like, <laughs> I could be hurt. <laughs> you know, I could, I could die, you know. But there are times we choose to run away from God and obeying God because we think it's going to hurt us. What are some ways that we might be afraid that doing what God wants us to do is going to hurt us? Can we think of any examples? Chris, give me one. All right, yeah. If we've got our life all planned out, we want to be a doctor, Chris mentioned, or any other plan, and it's like, but if I obey God, he may send me to go to India or, you know, go to Africa or, or whatever. Janet, how else do we think that maybe following God might hurt us? Financially. Financially, yeah. You know, I got my plans for my... It usually comes down to my plans, right? We're afraid that God's plans are going to mess up my plans in a way that hurts me financially, maybe in a relationship, you know, um... My future, um, people out there in the world say, I don't want to follow God. He's going to ruin my fun. 
You know, I mean, I've preached about that so many times. God doesn't want to ruin our fun. He wants to keep us from being destroyed by sin. Tim. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's right. Another reason I believe, um, this is what Norris said earlier, Jonah believed the Assyrians were not worthy of God's grace. It's not on your note sheet because I put out practical stuff. Jonah believed the Assyrians were not worthy of God's grace. I told you it'd be sort of like if you're afraid, it'd be like if God asked you to go and preach the gospel to ISIS, Taliban, whatever, people that could threaten your life and that had done horrible free things. But how about if you have a loved one, I mean somebody that you're very, very, very close to. This is a bad illustration, but it just makes the point. Okay, it, it'll it'll help us to feel it. You have a loved one that you're very close to and they're raped by somebody. And God tells you to go share the gospel with them. That's actually happened. And God gave the people grace to do that. But what would be our natural response? They don't deserve it. No. I'm not afraid of them, but I'm not sharing that. They, they deserve to burn in hell. You know? For in the 1930s and 40s, that God would give you the opportunity to say, go take the gospel to Hitler at the end of World War II, or Saddam Hussein, or any of the other sadistic people, you know? Especially if they impacted your family. They don't deserve it. Okay, that's, that's part of what's there too. Yeah, Theo. That's true. If God asks you to do that, he will equip you but I'm just saying, in the natural, in the flesh, mm-mm. and maybe we could, you know, without going that far, without looking, look, uh, thinking about people that have done that terrible things, if we were to be honest, have there ever been anybody in our life that is like, I really don't want to share the gospel with because they, they, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. We apply this to ourselves. It's a little bit more generic, but on your notes, I got this. We believe that God is asking too much of us, okay? For Jones, like, God, that's too much. Go tell the Assyrians to repent so you can forgive them. No, they deserve your judgment. But what would it be for us? God, that's asking too much, you know? So sometimes we run. The point, we often run when we don't want to obey God. How do we run? Again, we don't necessarily run like Jonah to try to get away from God, but how do people run from God today? They ignore him, okay? Or they deny he exists, I really believe that there are any number of people, and I don't know for sure because I don't know their hearts, who claim to be atheists and say God does not exist, but probably really know he does on the inside, but that's their way to deal with the spiritual reality that they don't want to deal with spiritual reality. And the same thing for agnostics. Now, I believe there really are people that believe that God doesn't exist. I'm just saying I believe there are probably some that say that that don't really do so. Lizette? That's true. You can't deny something that doesn't exist. That's a good line to use with an atheist, but yeah. Um, so deny God or ignore God, okay? Um, make excuses. You know, God tells us something that's pretty clear. It's like, well, yeah, I know that's what God says, but, you know, I'm the exception. You know, or that doesn't really apply to me. Or I know it should apply to me, but here's the reason why I don't, because, you know, it's okay. Or we just avoid the situation. We just totally ignore whatever God's telling us to do. We don't ignore God. We just ignore the situation. You know, he's telling us to get this relationship right with this other person. And it's like God's word says to do that. You know, his spirit speaking to us. And we just ignore it. Just go our own way, you know. So I just want to ask this. This gets a little bit more personal before we go on. Is there a situation in your life that you've been running away from that God's been speaking to you about? Is there something God's asked you to do that you don't want to do? So you haven't done it yet. Could be something he spells out in his word and you're just disobeying his word. It could be something that he's just spoken to your spirit and you just kind of been shoving it to the back. 
or I'll deal with it later or whatever. And I'll just let you mow on that and pray over it and deal with it between you and God. Let's go to the third point here. God loves us too much to let us go without a fight. Aren't you glad for that? We see it in Jonah's life. We talked about this in the introduction. You know, God could have just said, Jonah, you didn't want to do it? Forget it. I'll send somebody else. Just go on your merry way to Tarshish, and I'll still send the fish, but you can just stay in the fish. (laughs) Uh, No, God wasn't that way. God never gives up on his people. It's because he loves us. God loves us too much to let us go without a fight. Let's read verses 4 to 10. Um, Yeah, so he got on the ship to go away. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us, or give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. In other words, the storm is so bad, it's like somebody's done something wrong. We've got to figure out who it is and what they did so we can get it worked out. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he told them. All right. So God didn't just let Jonah go and send somebody else because he loved Jonah too much to let him go without a fight. Now, another thing that you'll find as you read the book of Jonah, and I just encourage you to consider maybe reading it every week. It's only four short chapters. You can read the whole thing in about, well, it depends on how fast you read, eight or nine, ten minutes, you know. But notice, you know, look out for God's grace and mercy. Look at how God does never give up on people. But look how active God is in this story. It's interesting because this story is almost the opposite of Esther. Because I just read that in my devotions just last week. In the story of Esther, God's not even mentioned. But he's behind the scenes everywhere doing all kinds of stuff. Well, In this one, God is mentioned over and over because he's not behind the scenes. He's doing things right out in the open. All right? Talks about how God hurled this storm. All right? You're going to, uh, some translations say God provided. Okay, God brought about, and that's mentioned several times throughout the four short chapters of Jonah. Okay, um, so anyway, they cast lots, which is like drawing straws. Okay, who's responsible for this, or or which who, who's the person the gods will speak through to tell us what's wrong? And Jonah drew the short straw, so they believe that either he was responsible or he knew who was, and that's why they're questioning: Who are you? Where are you from? All this kind of stuff, and he basically says, "It's my fault." You know, but as I said, it's very ironic that he says, I serve the God who made the earth and the seas, and he's trying to run away from God on the seas. Okay. And, uh, it's also very hypocritical because he says, I fear, which means I worship this God. And he's saying, I worship this God. I fear this God. I live for this God while he's deliberately disobeying him. Aren't you glad we never do that? No, Christians do do that. On your note sheet, I have this. We can be guilty of not living out what we say we believe. We can be guilty of not living out what we say we believe. Now, let me be very quick to say none of us are perfect. 
We can say, I believe the Bible, I believe in God, I love God, I've got a relationship with God, I believe that what he says is true, and I should live the way he wants me to, and we still mess up, we give in to temptation, whatever. But the thing is, for a true believer who's living for God, they mess up and they repent, and they get back on track, and they say, God, help me. But there are people that are out there that claim to be Christians, whether they are or not, that's in their heart, okay? They say, I love God, and they just deliberately disobey God, totally and completely ignore what he says. This is a major problem in the church, and it's one of the main things that keeps people outside of Christianity to really want to consider. It's like, they say they believe in God, they don't live any different than I do. They're hypocrites anyway, because I know that God says not to do that, and they're doing that, you know. They don't seem to care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was asleep in the middle of all of it. Yeah. You know, there's a book that was written 15 years ago um, by a preacher, uh, great, great preacher. Um, his name's Craig Rochelle, and it was called The Christian Atheist. Okay, great book. Say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. There can't be a Christian atheist. The point of the title is people who claim to be Christians but live like atheists. Or they claim to believe in God, but they don't live like they believe in God because he doesn't make any difference in their life. You know, and that's kind of what this is all about here. There's so many things. And again, people think of reasons and excuses as why they don't need to do what God said about that because they're different or their situation is different. And, you know, um, yeah. So anyway, um, we can be guilty of not living out what we say we believe. Uh, the second thing on your note sheet under that is that God will often send a storm to get our attention. He definitely did for Jonah. He sent a storm, and it was such a bad storm that people who sailed on the ocean all the time, it's like, man, some god is causing this, because they served other gods. And so they're praying to all their gods, and uh, they probably had a lot of different gods, you know, different, uh, and they Jonah's asleep, hey, get up and pray to your god. Some god's got to respond to this thing, you know. Um, and God will often send a storm to get her, and he will do that to us. You know, sometimes people will say, God, why are you allowing this? And if God, we can hear God's voice clearly, he'd be saying, because of what you did back here. <laughs> because you're not paying attention to me. You know, people say, God, why are my finances such a mess? It's like, because you won't <laughs> get them under control. God, why is my marriage such a mess? Because you're not being the husband you're supposed to be. Because you're not being the wife you're supposed to be. You know? God, why is this happening? There's, I, I didn't think to put it in here, but there's a, a, a verse, it's either in Psalms or Proverbs, where it says, people make a mess of their lives, but then they blame it on God. That's a paraphrase of it. You know? Yeah, Amanda. Do what? Yes, circumstances. We're going to talk about uh, that in just a little bit. So, sometimes God doesn't even have to do anything. The natural consequences of our disobedience are going to catch up to us. Right? Um, but then sometimes God will deliberately do something. God deliberately did something here. All right? All right. The Bible says that God disciplines his children, and this should have been on your note sheet, but I forgot to put it on there. But Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 11, we're gonna, you can read it later. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 to 11, it talks about God disciplines his children, but he disciplines his children because he loves them. Okay? Um, a parent who truly loves their children will discipline them. They won't abuse them, but they will discipline them. And that means there's consequences, and it's for their good. It's to help them learn and grow. And Hebrews 12 talks about God's a good father, and he will discipline you. And it's not fun. Discipline's not meant to be fun, but it's meant to get us back on the right track. 
Now, I don't like God's discipline more than anybody else, but I'm so glad that God doesn't give up on me when I don't always get it right. So that's the point of this point. God loves us too much to let us go without a fight. Number four, running from God has consequences. Running from God has consequences. Let's look at verses 11 to 16. So they, the sailors, said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Lots of hurling going on in this chapter, by the way. Probably literally because they're getting seasick. But anyway, sorry, that was a poor joke. Uh, he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. You know, one thing that's really interesting is to compare the, the I almost said soldiers, the sailors' compassion for Jonah, okay, with Jonah's lack of compassion for other people. I mean, Jonah is this man of God, and he does not have compassion on other people, but these sailors are serving all these idols and these other gods, and they've got this compassion on Jonah, and they know that Jonah's the reason that this thing's happening, and they don't want to throw him into the sea because of their compassion. Okay? On your note sheet, the sub-point here, when we run from God, the only place to go is down. That's one of the themes that we see in this chapter. It's deliberate. By the way, Jonah is considered one of the most, um, what's the right word I want to use? It is a tremendous piece of literature, okay, from the ancient Near East. The way it's structured, um, the, 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 the descriptions, the, 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 the lessons that are taught there. Somebody who knew how to write, put it this way, wrote this, okay? Um, and one of the themes you see in chapter 1 is down. Jonah keeps going down. All right? In verse 3, it says when he decided to run away from him, he went down to Joppa. Got on this ship and went down into the ship. And in verse 5, it says that he had gone down farther into the ship and he had laid down. All right? And then in verse 15, he ends up going down into the sea. Now, the word down isn't used there, but it's pretty obvious. And then when we get to chapter 2 next week and he's praying, he says, God, I sunk all the way down to the roots of the mountains. Okay? And so that's a theme you see is that when you run away from God, the only place to go is down. Go down. In other words, the situation just seems to get worse. You ever been in a situation like that? Now, you can get in a situation like that and it doesn't necessarily always mean that you're disobeying God or doing anything wrong, you know? Um, but sometimes situations get worse and worse and worse because we're running from God. And we're running from his plan for us and his desires for us. Okay, It'd be very easy to believe that God just wants to punish. He's wanting to punish Jonah. He's wanting to punish us. But you know, God's never out just to punish us. He wants to discipline us. That's the difference. The discipline is harsh circumstances, harsh to us, because he wants to get us back on the right path. He wants us to get back to a place of blessing. But unfortunately, when we run from God, it not only brings negative consequences on us, it brings negative consequences on others. Running from God on your note sheet there brings negative consequences to the lives of others. Just one second, Felix.
you know, sometimes when somebody says, why is God allowing this in my life? And and they're saying it sincerely because like, I'm really trying to live for God. I'm really trying to do the right thing. And that may be 100% true, but you know what? We're not affected not just by our own sins. We're affected by the sins of the people around us. You know, there are, there are certain aspects in which a person can be affected by their parents' sins. That's even a biblical principle. Not that God judges them for it, but because of things their parents have done, it has influenced their lives. We can be affected by our spouse's sins. We can be affected by the sins of the people around us. They do something wrong and we get caught in the backwash of it. It's part of being a falling, living in a fallen, sinful world. Okay, Felix, you're going to say, say something or ask something. I don't know. That's a question that's not answered. How did he have oxygen in the belly of the whale? As I said at the beginning, there have been sailors that have been swallowed by a whale and been in there for a day or two. Apparently, maybe there's oxygen trapped in the stomach. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. All right. God could keep him alive. You know, I mean, God did anyway. I mean, it's obvious it's a miraculous thing. So running from God brings negative consequences to the lives of others. So Jonah is suffering negative consequences. Who else can be suffering or is suffering negative consequences because of Jonah's disobedience? The sailors, which fortunately, once he got thrown in, God had mercy on them. But not only the sailors, but the Ninevites. Now, Jonah's going to go and preach to them, so they're going to repent. But if he never did, unless God did send somebody else, they were going to suffer. And, you know, that's something we need to think about is when we choose to disobey God, we're not just affecting our lives. We're affecting other people. That old saying is, well, it's not affecting anybody else. Well, there are certain things that affect other people more or less, but there's just about nothing we can do that doesn't affect somebody else some way or another. You know, uh, I, I saw your hand, Michelle. I'll get right back to you. But I remember hearing a story one time about a man who had a friend who claimed to be a Christian, was a Christian, and, and he had confided in this man that, you know, he was going to leave his wife because he'd fallen in love with another woman and had actually kind of gotten involved in a relationship with her. And so he's going to leave his wife and divorce her and marry this other woman. And um, he says, I want to sit down and talk with you one day. And so they sat down and talked. He says, okay, I want you to think about something. Okay, not just what you want, what you think is going to happen to you. He says, I, I personally believe that if you do this, it's going to ruin you personally and ruin your life. But think through, make a list. How is this going to affect your wife? I know you say you don't love her anymore, but how is this going to affect you? How is this going to affect your children? How is this going to affect your testimony? So God began to make a list and everything, and God used that to cause him to change his mind, to get rid of that relationship that he'd started with the other woman, get back with his wife, straighten his life up, because he was only thinking about himself, but when he began to think about the people he loved and how it's going to impact them, it's like, I can't do this. No matter what I think, no matter what I want. I've heard preachers that have said, one of the things that God has really used in their life to help them to stay on the right path, sexually, relationally, is that they regularly think about what would happen to me, my testimony, my ministry, and my family if I ever went astray. And they said that is a powerful motivating factor to be faithful to God, to be faithful to their spouse and to their family. Yeah, Michelle, you were going to say something earlier or ask something earlier? That's a, that's a great testimony and a good example that when we do obey God, even when it's hard, God can use that to bring healing to us and to other people. And even for other people that we struggle with in our relationship with them. Yeah. But let me give you the last one here because we're running out of time. Um, number five, hitting rock bottom may be just what we need. 
you know, Jonah gets thrown out there. Verse 17, we didn't read it yet. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You can't think of a much worse situation for Jonah to be in other than being dead. And Jonah might have even preferred to be dead at this point, you know, than where he was. But it was exactly what he needed. Um, this is what God used to get Jonah on the right track. We're going to see that uh, next week and going forward. And many people, you might could give a testimony, you can't tonight because we need to quit, but many people can give a testimony that wasn't until they hit rock bottom that they allowed God to get a hold of their life and they got back on the right track. My challenge would be, if you're headed down the wrong way, don't wait till you hit to the rock bottom. Just go ahead and repent now. You'll save yourself a lot of heartache and headache, okay? All right, so as we wrap this up, where is God's grace and mercy in this chapter? God wants Nineveh to have a chance to repent. God doesn't give up on Jonah, and God spares the sailors. The last thing on your note sheet, we can run from God, but we can't outrun him. And that's a good thing. Psalm 139.7, where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? Okay, so let me just deal with this one thing. It'd be very easy to say, well, I know I got an issue. I'll deal with it later. The longer you put it off, the more you're going to have to deal with. The harder it's going to be, the more consequences. The best thing to do is just to deal with it as quickly as possible. So let me just challenge all of us. If there's any area in which you're running away from God, you know what you're supposed to do, you're not doing it. There's stuff you're not supposed to be doing and you are doing it. Get it right with God. Stop. Stop running. Whether it's a relationship, a moral issue, a financial issue, a sexual issue, something in ministry. And maybe you need some help. If you do, Ask for it. You know, Jonah says, when they say, what should we do? He said, throw me overboard. Why didn't he just run and jump off? Because even though he knew what he needed to do, he probably didn't have the moral strength to do it. Sometimes that's true of us. We know we're supposed to do, but we don't have that strength. And we need a brother or sister to come alongside and help us, you know, to give us strength, to encourage us, to pray for us, and to hold us accountable. So, all right, let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've had to jump into Jonah's uh, story and for the way that you can use it in our lives. And I pray that you would do that, Lord God. I pray for myself. Um, I pray for all of us, but for myself, Lord, if there's anything in my life um, that's not pleasing to you, where, where I'm avoiding the truth, where I'm skirting the issue, where I'm not fully obeying you, Lord, please speak to me about it and give me a heart and a desire, Lord, to totally please you 100%. And Lord, give me the strength to do it because it's not always to do what, easy to do what you ask us to do. And Father, I thank you and I praise you for it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to today's message or Bible study. For more information, please contact us at area code 352-347-3001 or visit us online. If you are interested in supporting this ministry, Go to our website and click on the online giving tab. Our website address is www.marionoaksag.org.